Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, and today, no Elliot, but we got a special guest. It is Thomas from Virginia Outdoors Unlimited, the actual original person that I had on the podcast way, 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 182 episodes ago or whatever it is. <laughs> how you doing tonight, Thomas? I'm doing good. Glad to be back on. I wonder how many people listening to this episode or have listened to that episode. Actually, actually quite a few. I've gone back and looked at the downloads and a lot of people click on the very first episode. So, but I would actually, I have not listened to, I don't know if I've listened to it since. (laughs) And this is what, what was that? Three, four years ago? I think it was, I think it's over three years, like three years and a, a few months. So, yeah, yeah, because we do about one a month, or one a month, one a week, and we're 183 episodes, so that would make sense. Gotcha. Yep. Just over three cool. years. So um, I met <laughs> I met to look and see what all the episodes that you've been on, because you've been on quite a few, um, were, and, and all the uh, the different topics, but didn't get a chance. Do you remember what the first, do you remember what the first episode was? I do. It was canoe and kayak tips. That's right. Yeah. We each gave like five or something. Um, but I remember it was back when you were streaming on YouTube and it was definitely like there there was some kinks to be worked out, but I felt like it was a good podcast nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a good time. Uh <laughs> walk down memory lane because that's that's hilarious, you know. Um, I'll have to go back and look and see how many of those kayak tips I would still use today. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. There's a lot that changes. The more you hunt, the more you do things. I mean, it's just there's a lot that can change, even just in your opinion, you know. So. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. But um, our topic for tonight is actually going to be it's going to be habitat management, um, something that Thomas has done. In the past, is you actually had um, I don't know what you want to call it. I don't remember what you call it, like a wood duck hole. I don't. Did you have a name for that place or not? Yeah, I mean, I call it the millet pond right now. Oh yeah, that's right. We planted millet in it last year, but the thing is, like, I'm thinking about planting something else, so I should probably change it. But I'm thinking about naming it like Skeeter Pond or like <laughs> something like an original version of Skeeter Pond. Um, but we've we've called it um, so many things, like the wooded hole, the snapper hole. It's had a bunch of different nicknames, so. Nice. Just need to settle on one. Nice. So that's kind of what we're going to be hitting on here. So stay tuned for that. Um, and something I got going on this year is the snake swamp as well. So um, we both kind of got our management projects on little tiny pieces of property. And, you know, I know that there's going to be a lot of people who listen to this podcast. They gain access to something small like that. You know, mine's the snake swamp. Um, Thomas's is the millet pond. And we're going to go through kind of our plans and, and our different uh, ideas for making those just a better and more successful duck killing or goose killing, whatever it is, whole. So stay tuned for that. But, you know, maybe a, maybe a little uh, updates before we, we kind of get to that. So, um, you know, what, what have you been up to, Thomas? Uh, just trying to finish out the college semester. 
ends here basically at the end of March. Awesome. Three hunting have not had a whole lot of success, unfortunately. Been uh, close on some birds, but just haven't been able to connect. Yeah. Yeah, that's and how it goes then, sometimes. Uh, sorry, I think I'm having a little bit of a connection issues. I think we're good now. But yeah, that's what that's been the deal for me. Nice, nice. So you're gonna how long is your turkey season keep going? It ends on May the seventeenth. So still got three oh, weeks wow. and I, I still have all three of my tags. So awesome. Um, hopefully fill one here this week. That'd be nice. Awesome. Wait, how many tags you get in Virginia? Three per person. Man, you're lucky. Indiana, we just get one. Wait, y'all just get one? Yeah, I mean, that's the way it is in a lot of the states around here. Same with Michigan. In Michigan, I mean, Michigan's a huge sportsman state. A lot of turkeys, but they get one per person. Yeah, I mean, I could shoot. It's. I know a lot of people that tag out here in Virginia in, like, the first week, like, shoot three. I mean, we have a lot of turkeys, and then I... I think North Carolina either gets two or three. So, I mean, around here, you could very reasonably kill yeah. five or six turkeys. Wait, doesn't North Carolina get more than that? I've heard that they used to get like five. No, it's de- it's definitely it, at most is four, but I'm pretty sure it's three. I don't okay. think any state around me has more than three. Gotcha, gotcha. But yeah, I'm definitely definitely a little jealous. So, I mean, I think you saw probably on, on some of my posts. I can't remember. I think I I talked about it in the Flyways Collective. Uh, Marco Polo with mm-hmm. all the guys, but I, I shot my turkey. So yeah. it's uh it's definitely bittersweet when you shoot your turkey in Indiana. And you know, this year I was saying like, well, I've been out in the yard, I've been practicing with a bow, kind of getting it all tuned up. And I knew I was like I was ready if I wanted to shoot with my bow, go for a turkey. But I'm like, man, I got so many other things I gotta work on. I got the bus build, I got the I got the boat to work on, all this kind of stuff, all these projects. Not only that, I got like home life and all <laughs> you know, all the off season things you get that come along with that. And then, you know, here I'm going to go out and, and take a bunch of extra hunting trips, trying to get one with a bow. I'm like, man, I'm just going to go out there with the shotgun be super efficient. And so we went in the morning, had Tom's walk through, didn't happen. We went back. Well, I set up my cellular trail camera and got someone else setting up a blind in the same field. I was supposed to have sole permission, but apparently the farmer gave permission to somebody else. So, um, I decided that I was going to jump out there the same night and hopefully, you know, beat them to the punch, tag out. And sure enough, that's what happened. Got out there Friday night, had three toms come right in. And honestly, I don't think I would have been able to take the shot with a bow because um, they're moving and it was about 25 at the most 30 yards. And really that'd be pushing it for me with a bow. I mean, on a turkey, super small vitals. So especially moving. I would have had to have them standing still and probably coming in 20 or less because I'm not, you know, some crazy marksman. So bittersweet, though, because I was super efficient, just like I wanted to be. First day I hunted, killed one, and big adrenaline rush, awesome. Got the bird, got it all on film. Um, pretty decent. I mean, I, I felt like it was pretty decent turned out uh, for the YouTube video. But, um, you know, after that, man, it's like, well, what do you do, man? No, <laughs> your season's over. It's not like waterfowl where you shoot a limit you get that big adrenaline rush and you kind of plan for the next one. It's like, well, I'm done. <laughs> so but you're, going up to, you're going up to Michigan, aren't you? Are you, you're planning on? Yeah. Trying yeah. To? Yeah. It's, it's so, I mean, I feel like it's so there? different. Like I'm excited to go up there. I already got my tag and we got till May 31st, but like, I feel like it's a total different game from 
when you are doing it on your own, you're scouting, you're finding birds, you're kind of you're you're in the hunt, you know, the hunt mode, um, trying to find them, knocking on doors, getting permission, opposed to showing up somewhere and they got a game plan, you just go sit, you know, where wherever they say yeah. you kind of. So I mean, don't get me wrong, that's awesome too, but um, it's not, it's just not the. Hmm, I don't even know how to to convey my my thoughts on that, but because I don't want to give that a negative perspective because there's tons of people and that's they're hunting every year. All they do is, you know, join up with somebody and, and do it, whether it's waterfowl, deer, turkey, whatever, you know? And so there's nothing against that. Um, but there is something to be said about DIY doing it yourself, figuring it out and, you know, crushing them that way. So yeah. 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 But do y'all just get one tag up in Michigan? Yeah, one tag in Indiana, one tag in Michigan. So you can just stay right there in your little Virginia state and shoot three. Yeah. It's not even it's not yeah. even right, man. But I am chasing one public land around here, which is I'm where I grew up, I mean, is about an hour and a half east of here. And we always just had private land to hunt around there. So it's a totally different ball game out here. I mean, there's probably sixty thousand public acres within thirty minutes of me oh, and wow. still like it's incredible i'm going to the same place like i scouted hard the first two or the last two weeks before season and so, spots where i'd be hearing 10 12 birds after the first weekend i hear maybe one or two in there i mean just the pre them yeah. how quickly the birds respond to pressure in terms of just their vocality is pretty nuts oh yeah definitely crazy definitely but um yeah so you got a little bit hopefully you you uh Hopefully you can, you know, knock a few off, if not tag out all the way um, and put a good end into your season. Three weeks, though, that honestly, I think that'll probably be tough to tag out. So we'll see what you do. Yeah, I don't know, because like I, the reason I haven't, I haven't been hunting these first couple weeks as much is just because we still have classes and then this week's finals. So the last two weeks of May, I'm basically just going to be living here at college with no classes. So there's no reason I shouldn't be hunting five, six days a week. Awesome. Yeah, that'll uh, that's a life, man. I, I'm I'm definitely envious of that amount of free time for hunting. So, uh, yeah, it's not all the time, but you can. I definitely get some some time off here and there. Awesome. righty, well, let's get a quick word from our partners, and we'll jump into the meat of today's podcast. So, first off, I'd like to give a big thanks out to Motion Ducks Decoy Spreader. Um, Thomas is a big fan of this one as well, um, but. You have the option for the four decoy spreader or the seven. They call that the ultimate spreader. That is my go-to. Anytime there is a no-win day, putting the lifelike motion and ripples right in your set, you know, with that ultimate, just gives you more area, more ripples. And, you know, you don't want those birds coming up on you and the water looking like glass. Um, we've got data from the freelance hunt stats to prove that, uh, you know, the no-win days, and it's no secret either, but the no-win days are going to struggle. And the motion deck decoy spreader is the key to the success on that. So use code DECKGUN10 for 10% off and free shipping over there at motionducks.com. Also like to give a big thanks out to Bandit, Avery, and GHG um, from waders, decoys, dog supplies, camo. They got it all. Anything you need duck hunting related, it'll be up there on banded.com. You know, um, one thing that has been a staple for me is going with the Red Zone 2.0 over the last two seasons. Once you go breathable, you're never going to go neoprene again. And again, that used to be, I feel like, a secret or something that a lot of people didn't have um, didn't have experience with. More and more people have switched to the breathable, and nobody's looking back. So check them out, banded.com. 
Also, like to give a big thanks to Onyx, guys. Uh, if you're not using Onyx and the competitors are, you're definitely at a disadvantage, whether it's scouting out on public land, finding the access points, finding out the boundaries, or, you know, my personal favorite here for turkey season is you're driving around, you see the birds, you can find the property ownership right there, pull up your phone, click on the name, it'll show you the tax address, you drive to that house, and you ask for permission. You might get a no, but you're definitely going to get a no if you don't ask. So check them out, guys. Um, you can get it on your smartphone, Apple, Android, or PC. Also, lastly, a big thanks out to Freelance Hunt Stats, Elliot's website. We work on that together, as many of you know. And uh, you can track all your waterfowl stats throughout the season, your hunts, a personal journal, and log data, all that kind of stuff. Anything you guys want to do with it, there's a lot of options. And the new favorite thing that we implemented here at the end of the season last year was some leaderboards um, just you know, just for fun there to, to kind of see where everybody falls. So check it out, guys, freelanthutstats.com. All righty, Thomas. So let's go ahead. We'll jump into today's topic. So I guess let's go ahead and start with the, the millet pond, and let's hear some back history on it. Yeah, so it, it actually has a really interesting history. Um, we first, I first got introduced to it about two years ago now. Uh, actually, no, almost, yeah. It was my freshman year of college, so two years ago now, the eighteen nineteen season. And it's actually a farm that my buddy used to have permission on. Um, his girlfriend, or his ex-girlfriend, now his girlfriend at the time, her grandparents owned it. So <clears throat> we just basically goose hunted it the first season and never really killed anything. And then the following year, we built a blind out there, and we did a couple early season hunts out there and had a little bit of luck on some wood ducks. Um, but all that really came up around the pond was smart weeds. So we knew like we were either only going to get loafing birds in there or we would need to have some additional food sources in there. Um, and it did get some geese that loafed on it later in the year. But um, this past summer or this past off season, we decided we wanted to try and plant millet in it. So basically just did some, watched some videos. Elliot, I actually watched a lot of Elliot's old videos on um, their lease that they had where they planted Japanese millet. And basically um, drew, we drew the pond down. Um, there's basically an outlet pipe on it. So we opened up the outlet pipe and brought the water down about three, four feet and then just broadcasted Japanese millet onto the mud flats. And it came up really good. Uh, we thought we were going to really be in the birds. And unfortunately, uh, we just planted it about a month, month and a half too early. And the ducks got on it super thick in September. There's a lot of wood ducks in that area in September. And uh, it seemed like most of the millet was gone by the time our regular season rolled around. So um, didn't really turn out to be the most productive spot this year, but I think I'm going to give it another go this season. Um, my buddy, actually, he doesn't have permission on that farm anymore. I now have sole permission because um, him and his ex-girlfriend had a falling out. So um, I'm now in sole, pos sole per permission. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't really know exactly what I'm going to do with it this coming season. I kind of have some ideas. but do you, um, do you feel a little guilty nabbing that permission away from him? I, I do, but also <laughs> the reason he lost that permission was nothing but his own fault. And like, I was really angry at him for a long time because <laughs> basically we had put all that work in that off season and then he did something really, really stupid right before season and almost like completely wiped out that relationship. And I was actually cool with her for like, you know, besides the fact that of what he had done. So um, I had to kind of go in and mend that relationship and 
Um, luckily, everything worked out fine, but um, it did kind of throw a big wrench in our plans for this season, um, kind of how that all worked out. So I do feel bad now because I can't take him there and he can't hunt it. And he was the one who introduced me to the spot and everything. But at the same time, it, it is only his fault. And we're still friends, but um, I think he knows and hopefully learned a lesson from that. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So um, kind of, you know, gap. let's go ahead and, and talk more about what your plans are going into this season then. Yeah. So or are we skipping anything that we that, should before we, we jump to that? Are we skipping anything in the timeline? Um, I guess I forgot. <clears throat> yeah. I, I forgot to mention that I put up wood duck boxes. So um, that's kind of been what I've been doing this spring. I put two wood duck boxes up there and I put trail cameras out in front of them. So I haven't actually checked those in three weeks. So I'm really excited to go and check those and um, see if anything's moved in. And then I, there's not really much else I, I need to do in terms of like improving the area. I do want to maybe make some modifications to the blind. But besides that, I mean, it's pretty much I just need to um, pick what crop I want to plant and draw the water down and get it all executed for this coming season. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So I guess we'll, we'll kind of hit on the, the snake swamp a little here. So um, backstory on the snake swamp. So. Um, honestly, this is probably the first kind of sole permission place that I've had as well. Um, I've had permission on places with buddies and, you know, hunted on private property. I'm not saying I haven't, I've done plenty of that, but you know, I found this place. It's really this like unique little swamp that snakes around. It's, I believe that it's a remnant of an old stream. It looks like the stream that's right next to it was dredged away. And I believe they did that just to drain pretty much to drain the swamp so that they could create more farmland. So it's almost like if you see like an oxbow that's disconnected from a river, similar to that, but it's longer. It's got multiple bins in it and it goes for several hundred yards. So it's, I mean, for me, I don't know of anything that's exactly like that. It's super unique because it's all still there. Um, and another like pretty crazy thing is like in between the bins on there, we actually found an old, um, broke down vehicle that's been there. I mean, for decades. So <laughs> it's like, how did it even get out there? Um, you know, at some point I'm sure the, everything was different there, you know? Um, and it's just been sitting there ever since. So I, I probably should add that into, uh, um, one of my videos for sure. Kind of showing that off, but yeah, I'd never, I don't remember ever seeing that that vehicle in any of your videos. Yeah, and like to touch on what you were saying, like my, I guess I didn't say like the the millet pond is literally just an old farm pond. Your spot is a way cooler. Like I get your spot on the maps and everything, and like your spot is like a legit swamp and like has like way more terrain features than mine than mine does. Like mine's basically just you know this L shaped pond, <laughs> and yours is like an actual swamp, and like it does look. I guess that's how it's got how it got its name, right? Yeah. Yeah, it just looks like a snake. There's probably no snakes in it. But, I mean, you know, just to kind of kind of to backtrack on what you're saying, I mean, we're talking about the different different um, terrain types that you can hunt and all that. So I'm sure there's probably more people are going to end up having a similar place to hunt where it's just an old circular pond, um, you know, than, than this, this swamp. But, you know, maybe down in the south there's a lot of people hunting swamp wood ducks. Um, so kind of continue on, continue on the, the history of the snake swamp. So I found it, got permission on it last year, which reminds me, I talked to the landowner this year and I need to go get him a gift card. So <laughs> I asked him what kind of gift card I could get him. Um, cause I don't pay anything for it, you know, I, but I am going to get him a, a gift card, gift card. 
super nice guy. And when I asked him what gift card, he's like steaks. I'm like, all right, I can do that. <laughs> so, so yeah, history on that. Um, like we're saying swampy little area, the way we got to get into it is, um, we paddle up the river, then we get to where the swamp's at and we got a portage across, I don't know, a hundred yards, probably pulling our canoes through all kinds of crap over logs through thickets and then you get to the swamp and you get to the edge of it you sink into your waist you push your boat out and then you get in um so honestly it's really a lot of work to get to the swamp and once you get in the swamp then even then there's there's um you know some paddling involved to get through there um but we hunted it last year for the first time really pretty blind i mean i went in there i scouted i knew there was birds in it but knowing that there was birds in it the week before season i didn't want to just you know, go in there and bust up all the birds. So it's like, I looked from a distance, I saw there's birds and it's one of those things you got to kind of learn as you go. So we went out, we hunted it. Um, we had, we had a lot of opportunities. Honestly, that's one hunt. If I look back at last year <laughs> that I wish I had back because of the number of opportunities we had. And I think we ended up shooting like five or six between two of us. And it should have been like two man limits with some bonus geese. So <laughs> Um, but the, the thing about my area is we shoot for the most part, we shoot a lot of mallards and I don't mean like a lot, we shoot mostly mallards and, um, some wood ducks as well. So we got mallard and wood duck holes, not a lot else of variety. Um, but this place is super unique because the majority of the birds that we saw in there last year were green wing till. So I don't know why you got any insight on why we might have a bunch of green wing till in a swamp. Uh, I would guess shallow. I mean, either shallow or it has a food source they like, which from what you've told me, this is a pretty bottomless swamp. So I'd guess it's probably the latter. But I honestly, I have a spot just like that actually out here by college for whatever reason, like nowhere else has green wings and that spot has green wings. So spot, yeah. I guess some spots are just like that. But I remember you being super excited about that last year <laughs> when you were seeing all those teal in there. Yep. Yep. I mean, Let's be real. I'd probably prefer it's mallards if it was that many mallards, but it's definitely unique and, and fun to have a variety spot to go to like this um, because we've gone in there and hunts and we've shot green wing teal, wood ducks, and mallards. So that's a really, you know, that's a pretty solid mixed bag. Um, but kind of kind of back to, uh, you know, what we've learned from it. So getting in there, uh, every time we hunted it, I kind of pushed in a little bit further in the swamp. And, you know, I pushed in, I just paddled down to the next bin, tried hunting there, go down to the next bin, hunt there, go to the next bin, hunt there. And I think I hunted in there three or four times last year. Um, but the thing about it, man, it's so thick around the edges, just thick buck, thick buck brush everywhere. And then if you get in front of the buck brush in the swamp, there's no bottom, like literally no bottom. And I talked about it on the podcast. I talked about it in one of the videos as well um, where we hunted in there. And I almost, <laughs> I would say I almost oh. was in trouble because um, I got out there. The canoe got away from me and I was sinking and sinking and sinking and nowhere to go. And finally, the, I got the canoe back. But, and, and by that, the wind blew it back to me. So, um, yeah, no bottom on this place. So it's definitely, uh, you know, for me, it's, I haven't hunted anything like this ever. So, um, but kind of back to the, the type of vegetation we're seeing and the problem with all that. So we can't sit on the edge because you sink in, you can't hunt behind all the buck brush because you have really small shooting windows. If the bird swings in front of you, you know, you got 
like seven feet maybe to, to swing your gun and get it on it. You don't have the full range of motion. It gets too far and then you don't get a shot. So I, I took my brother-in-law, my dad with me. Um, and they definitely had trouble, more trouble than I had with that. So it'd be like, you know, and, and there was times where I, I wouldn't have a shot because they just come in so quick. You try to swing, you don't get them. And then they'd have the same issue, you know, along the line. So, um, you know, that's going to lead into some of my plans for it. Yeah. Well, I, I have a question. Do you hunt many spots with buck brush? Cause I feel like I don't see it in a ton of your videos. No, I think, I mean, for me, I, we see it a lot around swampy areas. We just don't hunt swampy areas a lot. So, um, there's, there's definitely yeah. another spot that I know that we hunt it, but, um, we don't have to get as far back in there because we can stand on like a bog on the edge. So, um, mm-hmm. we don't really hunt the exact edge of that water. We hunt in a bog on cattails. Yeah. Yeah. I used to not really think much about buck brush, but now I, I really, I, hate that stuff. I like, I love buck brush. I mean, <laughs> but you, you might hate it, but the ducks love it for sure. Yeah. And the thing I was going to say, the reason I asked you about the buck brush in your area is because the spot I see a bunch of green wings in is probably the spot where I have the most buck brush. And hmm. I don't know really why they would like that very much. I mean, I, I would think it would still be more shallow water, but um, I know wood ducks love to get up in buck brush. So that's, I mean, in terms of something habitat management, if you are thinking of getting rid of it or cutting it back, I would be careful because the ducks love it for cover. Gotcha. Yeah. The reason I hate it is nothing to do with what it provides with the ducks, but uh, I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but it will drop into your waders and get like, especially like, cause we have to like trek through this stuff. So if anything, I'm going to like cut paths through it or cut, access points to get out of the swamp because anytime we push through it, it has the little if, if you don't know what buck brush is maybe google it if not here's here's my description which is probably not going to be great I call, it, I call it gumball bushes yeah it's got they little have, it looks like they have gumballs yeah little gumballs but those gumballs fall apart and then there are these tiny little stickers that get all stuck in your clothes like get stuck in like the wool of your socks and you just can't get it out and then you and then they're stabbing you while you're walking it's just uh, with that much buck brush and all the stuff we're hauling through, like it was just, I mean, it would fall all through my waders. And by the time I was done, every time I hunted there and it took me a couple of times to like realize what was happening. Cause a lot of time we're trekking through it, it in the dark. So that's why yeah. I have a, a love hate relationship with how that stuff just falls apart and gets stuck in your waders, gets stuck in your clothes. And every time I'm dumping out my waders and, and, and trying to like clean all this buck brush out of there. So real super, uh, super yeah. annoying, man. Yeah, I mean, if you're having it growing over land, I mean, I don't think it provides much value over land. So, I mean, if it's over land and it's in your way, just take a chainsaw to it. Yeah, well, I think it's I think it's where um, the swamp kind of goes up and down. And so, I mean, it's super shallow in the edges of it. But once it gets to where the old stream was, that's where it's bottomless. So on the edges where all that stuff grows up, I mean, it'll be like um, like a little five to ten yard stretch where the uh-huh. where all the water can get up to it at high points that has all that buck brush so a lot of times we have yep. to trek through that to get to the water mm-hmm. and w- when you say bottomless like where does the muck stop so like i know the muck is bottomless but like how deep is it from the muck the water to the muck um what do you, i guess I, i'm not oh. sure what you mean from the water to them oh yeah okay so how much water is in there um it really depends on the place because you're when you're talking about sinking you Okay, I got you. Yeah, so like on the edges, obviously, it's closer. I mean, just imagine it being a river that stopped running. You know what I mean? And so that's yeah. why it's so mucky, right? But the center is still deep. 
Okay. So yeah, it's still like deep water. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say deep. So it's uh, it's the man. I don't know. I don't know. It feels like sometimes you're walking in the muck, and the muck is like from your knees to like middle thigh, <laughs> and then and then water okay. about the same height. So, but that's where I've walked. Where I haven't walked is definitely. I I don't think I could walk because it'd be over my head. So, um, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, it just depends where you walk around in there, and, and I. I honestly, I try not to walk around anywhere because, um, anytime I've tried, it's been bad. The only place there's one place you can walk around in it and you can actually hide the buck brush here. But, um, there's a little lily pad bed, which again, like there's, isn't that kind of weird to be in a swamp? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And there's just one lily pad bed. That's, it's like 75 yards long and 20, 20 yards wide. And it's just in one spot, and that's the only place in the whole swamp that has lily pads. Huh. That is weird. Yeah. Yeah, but we can stand on it. We can stand on all the weeds. I don't know if you've ever stood stood on, like, a lily pad bed. Real firm, yeah. Yeah, until your foot goes through, <laughs> and then you're back yeah. to the bottomless. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they they definitely put some root mass down. Yeah. So yeah, you want to talk about kind of you're talking about you got some plans for upgrading your blind on the millet pond. Yeah, just to do three main things really. I, we don't have a dog box on it, so I want to put a dog box on it. Even though I don't have a dog right now, uh, but just for the future. And then I need need to put a bench on it and uh, kind of make some upgrades to the roof. Right now, I have like an open top design, but I want to basically put some slat or like you know how they do where they basically put. Um, holes for each person and like bigger blinds yeah um, yeah where they run yeah r- like just run a two by four down so i just want to do that um is that mostly just for cover to add like brush onto or something like that yeah yeah just to con- concealment a little bit more because i've flown the um drone over that pond a bunch of times and i always notice like how open the top of our blind seems mm-hmm. yeah it just seems like birds can look down on it pretty easy. So, yeah, I just want to try and give us more top cover. You know, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg nowadays with 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 wood prices, right? <laughs> I, I know. Well, luckily, so I live in a fraternity house, and someone broke one of our windows. So the, a bunch of brothers came to, like, fix the window, and they just gave me a bunch of free wood that they just had, like, left over. So I don't hmm. know, they might as well just give me, like, $20. There you go, yeah. They- <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So any, any other kind of updates you want to talk about with the, the millet pond or. Yeah. So I guess my, uh, <clears throat> my decision right now is just what I'm going to try and do in terms of vegetation. Um, obviously the Japanese millet last year. And I think actually, if we just drew the pond down this year, we would get volunteer Japanese millet, which <clears throat> would be nice because then I could go in and disc or, burn or do whatever I wanted to do to manipulate that because it technically came up naturally um, versus if I went in and planted it this year. Um, But I really want to try rice because a bunch of the people who I've talked to in my area who kind of do similar things in swamps and ponds, they said they've tried millet and rice and they had way better success with rice. So um, that's kind of what I'm leaning towards. Um, But I might actually just draw the pond down about two feet see what natural vegetation and maybe that volunteer millet comes out, comes um, up and then draw it down another two feet and then do that in rice just to have like some more diversity in terms of what I got on the pond. Awesome. 
Yeah, so, sounds like a lot of fun. So you actually put me on the rice idea too. So that's that's going to be something that's in my plan too. But um, you know, unless you got anything else to add, years, I'll, I guess I'll jump to to kind of talking about some of the plans I got in store for the snake swamp. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to hear because I know I'm excited to hear what your plan is for the blind because I saw you post about that today in the fellowship. So yeah, yeah, honestly, I what I insight you've gained from that <laughs> honestly i haven't even really had a chance to look at it um i did glance at it once and i saw some of the answers and i'm like i need to edit my post um because of <laughs> i said it and then you get pic- pictures of people um literally driving in blinds that they built like pulling them behind boats and like that's just not an option here because i gotta bring everything in and then like build it piece by piece so it's gonna be honestly it's gonna be quite the endeavor to get all the material out there and build blinds. And at first I was like, man, I want to build three blinds. And then I realized like, I'm not going to have the time. So it's maybe it's like one blind a year or something like that. Um, as long as I keep getting permission on the spot and, and I've, I've kind of built a a pretty decent relationship with the landowner, which I think is super important, important, especially if you're going to do something like that. So as far as the blind goes, I've really narrowed it down to two places that I'd like to build a blind. Um, and you know, one of them I had, one of our best hunts last year out of there. Um, And we definitely, we should have shot like a three man limit, you know, 18 birds. Um, But the reason we didn't is just the small shooting windows. We had birds zipping through the decoys. Um, I mean, literally just gliding over them like easy cupcake shots. But um, a lot of times somebody just couldn't get on them or we call the, the shot on a full flock coming in and people aren't getting shots on them just the way they're coming in and not having windows and they flare as soon as somebody shoots. So uh, it definitely made it a little difficult, you know, with that. So that's one of the spots I'm like, I need to get on the point out there and clear away the buck brush right where I want to put the blind and have it at the forefront. So we get good shooting lanes. Everybody's pushed out and has good shooting opportunities because no doubt in my mind, we would have been able to, you know, um, so I think it was a little frustrating, you know, on that hunt for everybody, just not being able to get the shots that we, we could have had. So, you know, that's mm-hmm. the, that's the kind of the battle you have between, um, really good concealment and really good shots. You kind of have to have some of both, um, to, to make yeah. it happen. But, you know, right now the way we hunt out of it, it's just like the birds never see us, but man, we can't shoot. So, <laughs> so I guess as yeah. far as like, the first thing I was thinking is trying some way to put it like on the edge in the mud and not have it sink. And you're saying, I know you said on there um, that I should take 10 foot four by fours and just push them in as far as I can. My only concern with that is it's like you said, at some point, like I'll keep pushing, I'll keep pushing, I'll keep pushing and they'll stop. My only concern is they'll stop. We'll build the blind. We'll stomp around on it. And all of a sudden, like halfway through the season, we realize we're at like a 10 degree slope. <laughs> I thought I was going to have that problem with mine because we basically we just dug ours down three foot for our four by fours and everybody people were like oh you need to wait three months before you build your blind they're going to shift and like ours haven't shifted at all Hmm. so I'm and I guess it is going to be different like you know if you're just pushing down into soft mud and you're relying on like six feet of soft mud to hold your poles it would be a little different but it sounds like you might be able to, you know, cut a, cut away the buck brush and then even have like maybe a semi soft or semi hard bottom. Yeah, it seems like that, it would be hard, case, like on the back side of it, but the front side would be 
the part that I'd worry would sink in if we did the four by fours. And that's, that's the only yeah. thing I don't know. I mean, I feel like if you had some type of like good driver and I don't know if like, a you know, if, if you used a, a post tool to hammer it in, if that's going to actually, you know, do enough compared to the weight of like three grown men jumping up and, and shooting at birds over and over throughout the season. So that's my only concern I've thought about. And the other way is obviously like a floating blind, which, you know, I've had that idea as well. But then again, it's like, I'm going to have to take all these barrels out. Like I'm, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I'm canoeing. I got all these barrels like tied up behind the canoe in a row of six. And then you get up there and you got to drag each one of them a hundred yards, then get your caravan back up there and, and paddle those through the swamp. And so, you know, those are my two main ideas right now. As far as the blinds, doing the floating blind, or like you said, um, and really I want to do both. I want to do one with the four by fours and one with the floating blind. And I feel like the pro to the floating blind is, and I don't know, I really don't know how heavy it's going to be. Like, is it going to be too heavy once it's all built? Let's say it's like it's got six of those floating um, 55 gallon drums, and then the whole blind on top of that. Like, am I going to be able to connect to that with my canoe? And just like inch it around like little by little, or will it be like impossible to move? No, I don't think you could move it with a vessel unless you had a motor, like a trolling motor. Um, I, yeah, you'd. Ha- I feel like you'd have to have some sort of mechanical per- propulsion. That said, your swamp is like super snaky, and you could probably just get a long piece of wire rope and just come along it through the swamp. Like literally, just tie it off to us on to a tree at the other end of the stretch and then just basically pull it all the way through there using a pulley or something. Hmm. And then, you know, move it that way. Cause like you said, I mean, if you don't, you can't get a motorboat in there and you can't walk in there. So what if I just mounted a trolling motor on it, it with the like permanently left a trolling motor on it. And then I've, I've seen people, I've seen a bunch of pictures of them on Facebook and I've seen people do that. I've never seen the results of it, but I have seen people do it. Um, and I, I'm really interested to see if you can pull this off because I love the idea of a floating blind like this. I think you, the ability to move it around would be absolutely huge. But also, I think in your case, I think I've, I've seen a lot of people build them in like one or two man configurations. And like you're typically hunting with yourself and two other big guys. So like a three man configuration, I think is going to have to take some serious thought and a lot of those barrels to be able to float y'all safely. Because mm. I know I've heard stories of those things flipping and everything. So <laughs> that would suck um, so bad. Safe with that. That'd be awful. So I yeah, wonder if I've you did that. Stand up first time and they just roll. Huh. I wonder if uh, to kind of add on to it, you could get one of those or a, a pair of those 10 foot. Ah, but then that takes away your ability to move it around unless you have some type of like crank on it where you can crank them out. You know what I mean? That'd be qu- kind of cool. But, um, we, you know. Sometimes simple is better. So, <laughs> hmm. What were you talking yeah. about with 10, 10 foot? Uh, yeah, if I had like 10 foot four by fours connected to the blind so that you you have the floating blind and then you drive those in to kind of anchor you in place. Oh, I don't even think you would need four by fours. I mean, you just need like a, a, a big piece of conduit to anchor you in place. Mm. But as far I as mean, like, I mean, a four it, by four it, would keep you from flipping. Like, a, let's say it was. It's... Oh, oh, yeah. But I think still, I mean, I think if you thought about securing it down, I think you would just need metal tubing. Gotcha. Um, and just put it on all four corners. But yeah, I've heard of people trying them without any sort of staking down on those 55-gallon drums and just flipping, which I mean, 
it can happen. I've heard of people doing it on pontoon boat blinds too. So I mean, it can definitely hmm. happen on. Yeah. Anything that's you're not smart about it. Yeah. If anything a is uh, on top of it, if anything's that unstable though, I feel you wouldn't want to hunt out of it. So, um, yeah, I'll have to figure out, you know, cause my original plan, I was thinking six would be enough. Six 55 gallon drums having it at three wide and, and two deep, but maybe I need to go four wide and two deep. Yeah. I think probably just do research. I mean, try to do some research online on Facebook. I've, I've seen so many people build them over the last few years on Facebook that I feel like you should be able to post something somewhere and get some get some picture ideas, yeah. Actual actual experience with them. The only problem is, man, I'm gonna have to find some like used timber because or not used, but like some cheap because, man, timber is like all these these plans I had for the off season, whether it's the boat bus or building those blinds, just got like three times as much as as expensive as they had been. So you should see if maybe the um, the property owner needs any trees cut down or anything. Hmm. Yeah, it'd be a pain to get them out, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I between the exactly. creek and the swamp. Yeah. Yeah. New new yeah. job for your boat. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So, I guess honestly, talking about the blinds, jumped a little ahead, got a little excited by you bringing that up, Thomas. So, <laughs> but um, before I get to all that, so. Obviously, I'm going to have to bring all that gear in, but we have to take the same path every time we hunt. So there's like multiple trees down. There's trees like down in the river that we have to like shimmy over. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I want to I want to cut those down, clear the path. I want to um, get up on land and, and make a path through there, um, cut down all the trees that we have to uh, right now portage our, um, our canoes over, our kayaks over. We literally got to like hike one end up pull it over, you know, slam it down on the other side. We're all taking decoys and blind bags and guns and our, everybody's loaded down. So it's just like all this hassle to get through there. I just want to trim everything down, make a straight path or easy path. It won't be straight through the woods, but um, to the swamp. And then from there, um, you know, clearing out some of the, just clearing out some places where we're going to hunt. So we actually have shootable areas um, you know, getting the blinds in there. So, um, and then something we touched on there a little bit as well is the wild rice. So I'm still on the fence. I'm trying to figure out, um, you know, what I'm going to want to do for this. And I think, I do think I want to try something small. I don't want to go crazy on this. I just want to see how it works this year. Um, get a little bit going in there. But the thing about it is, um, you know, I'm not, I've seen videos where they don't draw it down. They just drop it in there. So right now, currently, I don't have any plans to draw down the swamp. And I think I could. You know, I think if I got the right gear and everything, um, I, I even know people that I could could get the gear from to do it. But um, I just don't want to – I don't want to get too crazy with the stuff I'm asking of the landowner this year. So I'm, yeah. I'm just going to give it a shot with, with uh, putting some of the wild rice in there and seeing how it does. I know that it, it will do better if you draw down a planet that way. Am I, am I right on that, Thomas? See, I thought that was the case, but the more I've read on wild rice, the more I, I don't think it's that's really true because wild rice is really an aquatic grass. So um, I think it'll do pretty much just as well mm. in um, being water seeded as it would do being dry seeded. Um, alternatively, I think you can dry water seed <clears throat> like regular rice as well, like ag rice. 
but it'll only grow up through about six inches of water from what I've read. Gotcha. And, and at, the, at that point, you're also hurting. It, it doesn't water seed as effectively, but I think wild rice water seeds pretty effectively. Yeah. What I've read, it's like up to like some like crazy depths, like four feet, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's pretty good if you can drop wild rice anywhere where there's, you know, four feet of water. So, um, do you know how many uh, pounds you're going to be going for? I, I'm not. I don't think I'm going to go for wild rice. I think I'm going to go for ag rice. Oh, okay. Um, and I'm gonna, so I'm going to water seed it, and then um, what what you do with water seeding ag rice to get best or uh, basically the best results from what I'm from what I'm seeing is you water seed, and then 40, 24, 24 to forty eight hours later, you take the water off it, and then you let it come up dry, and then you reflood it. Um, once it comes up a little bit to kill off the weeds. Okay. You know how many pounds you're going to go with on the the ag rice then? I, I think the ag rice is around 50 pounds an acre. Okay. And I don't know what wild rice is. I think wild rice is higher. And I think the issue with wild rice, as we both have seen, is the price. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was looking at it and the prices have even gone up from last year, um, mm-hmm. like another 50 cents per pound. So um, and what stinks about it, there's multiple places. There's one place we've both looked at in particular where you can get the wild rice. Um, and it's 720 per pound. So if I'm looking at 50, <laughs> yeah, that's getting expensive fast, 50 pounds of that. So, you know, do yeah. Some- and I don't, and the, and the thing that's nice about wild rice is I think it's known for being really good reseeder. So it tends to come back year after year. So, um, you're probably going to get some benefit off out of that versus whereas maybe plan an area and then next year you're able to plan another area of the swamp and the area you planned last year is going to come up again. Mm. So um, I guess you got to You got to just think about it a little bit differently in terms of the money you spend because of that. Um, but yeah, definitely still probably the most expensive route to go. I've yep. seen besides maybe like planting corn, you know, all the inputs for planting corn. But yeah. But the nice thing about both the things we're talking about is it's something that is very DIY. You can do it yourself like uh, with corn or something like that. I mean, you, you really have to um, hire a farmer and all that kind of stuff. And you really you have to be able to draw it down and bring it up. The thing I like about the the, the wild rice seems like it's super simple. I haven't done it myself. And maybe all that perception <laughs> will be proven wrong like after we've done it gone through a gone through the paces and done it a year and we don't get a good crop but if it is as simple as it seems where you just kind of put it in the water and it and it grows you know um you know it's very DIY so anybody can do it um it's just going to cost you a little bit of money so 50 50 pounds at 720 we're looking at uh, I just did the math real quick $360 so you know honestly not the end of the world to spend that um, I mean, it's a little much just to test it out, but <laughs> for me, I, I find the excitement in, 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 in trying something like that and planting, planting out there. So, yeah. And yeah. I mean, an acre would, an acre would be, be quite a bit, especially in that swamp. Um, yeah. I would think so. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely, I think it, it would be a very cool experiment. I'm, I definitely look forward to seeing how it does. The only thing I would worry about in that swamp is the bottomless component. So like, where is the seed going to settle? Is it just going to keep falling? And like, how are the roots going to come up? Yeah, there's only only one way to find out. Yeah, so. uh, it'll be yeah. it'll be interesting. When's your what's your time frame for when you're going to plant? I'm not sure. So uh, wild rice, the variety I've looked at, they say about 80 days to maturity. So last year we planted in mid June for the millet, 
like I said, way too early, about a month, month and a half early for the rice this year. I'm looking at about mid July. Gotcha. But I think wild rice has a longer um, time to maturity. So I think wild rice really you're supposed to plant about now in yeah. northern latitude. Yeah, yeah. You said wild rice first. So what you meant is ag. Just to to clarify that you met on the ag rice, you got eighty days to maturity. So the wild rice, yep. Um, you got to plant it in the spring or the fall before. So those are your two options. Yeah. Yeah, and the combo we talked about. I mean, I hope it's okay for me to mention them. River Refuge Seed. They have a really good breakdown on their website of how wild rice works in terms of um, the dormancy and everything. And I would definitely look there because my buddy actually tried planting here in Virginia. And apparently Virginia is not a very good wild rice state because like literally none of his came up. Hmm. Um, and it's just like it, it varies from area to area, apparently, yeah. how well wild rice does. I think from what I read on there, it depends on th- how cold it gets. So mm-hmm. um, if he had trouble, he probably did fall fall wild rice and it didn't get cold enough to to, I, to germinate. Would that Would that be the issue? Yeah, it, it could have been that. I'm honestly not sure about the specifics of exactly what he did. Um, but it could have been that or it could have just, I, I don't know, maybe he planted it too deep or something where he was or it just wasn't the right soil. But I know like his just didn't come up here. But it could, I think it could have been fall too. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, definitely be interesting. So, um, you know, that's pretty much going to wrap up kind of, I think, both of our plans for it. So kind of to summarize, break down for me, it's clearing paths, making easy access, getting in there. Um, you know, trimming some stuff down, planting some, not planting some, building some blinds, planting some food, and then getting the blinds brushed in, ready to go. And the last thing I didn't didn't mention is I actually bought a couple cellular trail cameras to put out there because of how much a hassle it is to get out there and actually scout. I feel like having those out there might be it might be pretty cool. So especially in season, I've yeah I've I got buddies who've put you know, plot watchers on ponds and stuff like that to kind of make sure they know when birds come in. We'll see how well a trailer, a, a trailer, a cellular trail camera works um, on that. So, you know, a, a lot of experimenting, a lot of fun uh, kind of with these small DIY properties is what I'm going to, you know, what I'm going to refer to them. So um, any, any yeah. closing thoughts, Thomas? Um, I would just say like, if you haven't tried this before, I mean, I, I hadn't really ever done anything like this until this past off season and I found a huge passion for it. I mean, it gives me like so much more enjoyment in terms of the off season. And then also, I mean, it leads to me, I feel like looking forward to season a lot more. So, I mean, if you got even like, you know, my pond's only three acres, I don't know how big your spot is. I mean, you could do it on an acre pond, um, just see what you can do and, you know, maybe try and get a few more ducks or geese in there. And uh, if you can, it's, I'd say it's a success. Definitely. Very, very well said. And, and kind of just to add on to it, you know, here, here in closing on the podcast, but you know, there's, there's just something to be said about having a place that's your own, that you um, have that sole permission for knock on doors guys. Right now is the time to, to be locking down those permissions. You know, maybe this year you just hunt on it and next year you want to do it a little bit better and you can kind of take some of the ideas we got and, and, you know, make yours into a, a duck killing pond as, as well. But um, that's all we got for today, guys. Thanks again, Thomas. Appreciate you jumping on here with me and, and you know, talking talking through all of your off-season plans for the Millet Pond, or I can't remember what you said you're going to name it now, but. <laughs> A pleasure as always. Thank you so much for having me on, Jordan. Yep. Alrighty, folks. I'm Jordan, Duck and Chronicles, Thomas from Virginia Outdoors Unlimited, and we'll see you guys on the next one. See ya.